Well, good morning. Uh, our BT study this month is the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, often referred to as a letter of love. The letter to the Philippians is one of the most joy-filled books in the whole of the Bible. It is a letter overflowing with joy. Joy and thanksgiving made all the more amazing because Paul wrote this while he was in jail. He'd been in jail for two years and he was waiting possible execution. And all the way through this letter, Paul speaks of his inner joy, his inner happiness. In fact, he expresses it 16 times in these four short, brief chapters. And what he experiences for himself, he exhorts the Philippians to, and he exhorts us to today. He says, rejoice <coughs> in the Lord always. Paul had found in Christ the true source of joy, so much so that he says he had learnt to rejoice in whatever circumstances he was in. This letter was written to the church in Philippi, which was the first ever Christian <coughs> church planted in Europe. And it was written about 10 years from when the church was first planted. It was written by Paul in response to the Philippians sending Epaphroditus to Paul with gifts to serve him and with encouragements of prayer and their assurance of their love. However, the Philippians have become discouraged, they've become fearful because of Paul's imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. So in reading this letter, we should think of Paul writing to a group of young, scared and discouraged Christians because of his imprisonment. But Paul had a deep affection for this church. And it is seen in his prayer in verse 9 to 11 and throughout the letter it expressions like, I hold you in my heart and I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's look at his prayer in chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This was Paul's prayer for this church in Philippi. And Paul's prayer was that their love may abound more and more in knowledge, so that they were able to discern what was best. He prays that their love would be a discerning love. How much do we need that today? We need discerning love. Paul's love for the Philippians was not based on sentiment, but upon their partnership in the gospel. And he says the affection he has <coughs> is the affection of Christ. He held them in his heart because they were all partakers of the gospel. His love for them centred on Christ and his love for them came from Christ. Here we see that our love for one another is based on our lives being hidden in Christ and sharing the same desire for the cause of Christ. So our affections for one another are going to be different than to non-believers because our love for one another centres on our partnership, our partnership in the gospel and our collective partakers of grace. And we love each other not sentimentally but with the affections of Christ. Paul's main focus in this letter is Christ and his supreme worth. This letter wonderfully presents a fourfold presentation of Christ 
in relationship to us as believers. Each chapter reveals one of these four key ideas with key verses. The first chapter is the idea of Christ being our life. Verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ. The second chapter, the key idea is expressed in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The thought here being that Christ's mind should be our mind. The third chapter's key thought is that believer's goal, the believer's goal is Christ. Verse 10 says that I may know him. And finally in chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is reminding them that, and us today, that Christ is the Christian strength. Now having established the overall flow, let's go briefly through these four chapters. But I want to say at this point, there are many other thoughts and gems embedded in these four chapters, <clears throat> which I pray that you will mind for yourselves as you read this little letter. Chapter 1, Christ our life. Verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ. Here was Paul, chained in prison, unjustly chained, suffering for two years, not knowing whether he would be executed. It would make many of us complain and moan. But after sending his greeting and expressing his love and gratitude for the Philippian church, because Christ is his life, he sees everything through the lens of the interests of Christ. So, for example, he sees his imprisonment as serving to advance the gospel. He reflects on those who would preach Christ from bad motives, but for Paul, because Christ is being preached, he rejoices. Because Christ is his life, his only concern was that whether in his life or in his death, Christ would be honoured. Paul longed to be with Christ. He longed to be with Christ. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if he carries on living, it's only so that he can be more fruitful for Christ. There is gain in death, but to remain in the flesh, Paul says, is more necessary on your account. Even in his desire to see the Philippians again, he says, it's so that through his visit, they would have ample cause to glorify Christ Jesus. He was reminding them that their salvation is from God and has been granted for the sake of Christ. Chapter 2, Christ and mind. This whole chapter centres around verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. In verse 1 and 2 he speaks of being of the same mind, being in full accord and of one mind. To be like-minded with Christ, having the same love as Christ, and being in full accord and of one mind with each other. He explains in verses 3 and 4 how to grow in Christ and to exhibit Christ's mind, considering others more significant than yourselves. But he also does this in, by giving us in verses 5 through 8 an exposition of Christ's mind. So let's read these well-known verses 5 to eight in chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul describes the mind of Christ in these verses in, in terms of Christ's humility. Earlier in verse 3, he says, In humility count others more significant than yourselves. This exaltation and Christ's example expressed in 5 through 8 is something we find hard to do. But if we want to live with Christ being our mind, it is something we need to seek God's grace for growth in our lives. William Law called humility nothing else but a right judgment of ourselves. I remember a number of years ago, a good friend saying to me, Peter, you need to be much more suspicious of your heart. He was not saying that my heart was always wrong, but that it can't be trusted in every situation. Being suspicious of our hearts, I believe, will help us get a better and right judgment of ourselves. The world tells us to follow our hearts, trust our hearts, do what your heart tells you to do. But in the Bible, we're called, taught something absolutely contrary to that. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And in Hebrews 4, verse 12, we're told that it's the word that will allow us to discern the intentions of our hearts. When the cravings of our hearts are threatened, all sorts of actions and thinking are produced within us to protect those cravings. Some of those cravings can be recognition, acceptance, position, possessions, relationships and power. And we have to be suspicious of our hearts when those cravings, when those things that we desire are being threatened. Being more suspicious of our hearts. Paul, having given Christ as the supreme example, he goes on in verses 19 to 30 to give us other examples than Christ who have Christ's mind. He speaks of Timothy in 20 to 24, being of like-mindedness, who shows genuine care, serving the interests of Christ. And Epaphroditus, who self-humbling came to minister to his need, verse 26, concerned for others, and in verse 30, unselfishly risking his life for the cause of Christ. Now he gives us Christ as that uh, supreme example. And then he gives us Timothy and Epaphrodites as other examples that we could follow after. Chapter 3, Christ our goal. In verse 10, Paul says that I may know him. One of the greatest obstacles to applying the gospel to ourselves is our tendency to rely on ourselves, not on Christ. In verse 3, he says, We glory in Christ Jesus, putting no confidence in the flesh. If ever there was a man who could trust in the flesh, it was Paul. And in verses 5 and 6, he proceeds to list the things that had been his former glory and those things that would impress the Jews around him. But in verse 7, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He counted all things as loss compared to his goal in life of knowing Christ. 
The goal of his life was not accumulating accolades and possessions and recognitions in this life. But as he says in verse 8, gaining Christ. In verse 10, knowing Christ. And in verse 11, attaining Christ in the resurrection. But Paul, being the humble man that he was, he also says in verse 12, not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We press on not just from ourselves, but we press on because of what Christ has done for us. So that turns our desire. He, we love him because he first loved us. And in pressing on, he warns us how to, to be careful how we think about our maturity. So he says in verse 17, join with me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. As he was looking to Christ, he's saying, look to me, imitate me as of Christ. It's Christ we imitate. But look to those people who are imitating Christ in our lives, in their lives. In our walk with Jesus, let us look to Christ, but also learn from those who set an example that imitates Christ. Paul is saying in chapter 3 that Christ himself is the supreme object of the Christian's desire and the goal of our lives. Chapter 4, Christ our strength. The key verse in chapter 4 is found in verse 13. I can do all things through him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. In verse 5, Paul says, Let your reasonableness or your forbearance be known to all men, however much they persecute you. He says, The Lord is at hand. In other words, Christ is there to strengthen us in every situation of life. He goes on to say that we are not to be anxious, but in everything, not in some things, but everything. In prayer to bring our request to God. And the peace of God will guard, will strengthen your hearts in Christ Jesus. You see, it's not prayer per se that brings peace. It's Christ. It's Christ who is our strength. And Paul says that he has learned in whatever situation he is in, every circumstances that he faces, in all his needs, he can do all things. Or as another translation puts it, I can bear all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in this chapter, we see that for the believer, Christ is our strength. He is our carer. He is our protector. Here in this short letter, we have four chapters that are all about Christ. Christ being our life. Christ being our mind. Christ being our goal. Christ being our strength. Christ who never fails and is always sufficient. Someone once said that this letter is like the chains that are clanking on the writer's wrists and ankles, sounding like the bells of heaven. In the very first paragraph, Paul speaks of grace, peace, joy, love, glory and praise. And these bells ring out through all four chapters until they give a triumphant final peal in the last paragraph. But my God, my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. The only thing that is needed after this is a doxology, and that was a short hymn of praise. And that's what exactly what Paul adds in verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.